Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. My name is Pastor Todd. Welcome to our brand new series called Mr. and Mrs. Better Half as we take a dive into series on marriage and relationships. Again, one of my favorite subjects of all time. As we begin, let me tell you a story. There was a man who went to the gravesite of his mom who'd passed away years and years ago and just went to go put flowers and, and go think about his mom. And as he's in the, the, the cemetery, he looks over and he sees a man just crying and weeping and, and just, he's intense. And the guy feels so compassionate. He's like, my gosh, that is so painful to even look at. And he felt compelled to go over and just comfort the guy and be kind and friendly. And so he goes over and he comforts the man. And, and he hears as he walks up, he hears the guy just saying, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? And he goes, man, I'm so sorry. I saw you over here grieving on almost uncontrollably. Clearly, this was this is this important relationship. Was this a child? Was this a, was this a parent? Who, who did you lose? And he goes, this is my wife's first husband. So... <laughs> that one took a second to set in, didn't it? Now it took it took a, it took a minute. Um, hey, sometimes that's the way it's going, but we're going to correct that right now. We're going to we're going to course correct that thing. Why did you have to die? Um, so anyway, we are here, and today I want to kick off this this series because here's the deal: this is a four week series, and in, in week two and three and four, I'm going to ask you to do some very practical things, some very specific things, some very unique things. But the things that I'm going to ask of you are so difficult and challenging if we don't nail this one. What I'm going to talk to you about today is literally, without a doubt, the most important thing about marriage and everything else is secondary to it. So uh, you need to take good, good notes today. But uh, to, to showcase this idea, uh, there's this unique text. And when I show you the text, it's going to seem a little odd. You're going to be like, what in the world does this have to do with marriage, but it does, and I'm going to show you why, and it's beautiful and wonderful. So let's just dive into the scripture and let's let the scripture speak. The Bible says this in John chapter 4 it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then in parentheses, it says for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Just so you know, this, this whole story, though, is amazing. This story, I could preach so many different angles in this story because Jesus breaks down race relations in this moment. I mean, what he does there is he goes to a group of people. Literally, they had had wars. They had fought and killed each other. This was a nasty, racial, tentious deal between Jews and Samaritans. Jews thought of themselves as like pure-blooded Jews, and these Samaritans were kind of like a the half-breed, kind of mongrel. We don't even like you. And they hated each other. And so this is him breaking all kinds of, of racial barriers. She also even says this, you're a man, you're a Jew, and you're talking to a Samaritan woman and she goes to point that out and the reason why is because it would have been socially taboo for a man 
who was alone to go approach another woman like that. I mean, it would have been like totally socially weird and abnormal. And so here's Jesus breaking down even um, what you would call sexist barriers, like the value and role of women. And Jesus does this. Jesus does this throughout his entire journey. He messes with the status quo of how people think about race and gender and all that stuff. And this is him just doing it again. Everybody say, but that's not, that's not the point. Let's keep going, which is good. It's just... So verse 10 says, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he kind of sounds like a guru for a moment now. It's like, I'd give you living water. And it sounds a little weird, but look at where he goes, though. Sir, the woman said, because she's focusing on the practical, you don't even have anything to draw with and the well is deep. Where exactly are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I can give them, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So now you see where he's going. He did a little evangelistic thing where he's trying to bait her into a conversation. He goes, no, no, this is not about water. I mean, I know we're thirsty. It's noon. It's the middle of the day. Everybody's hot. It's about water, but it's not about really, really about water. It's about eternal life. It's about something bigger, powerful, stronger, something divine is, is what he's talking about here. And so, so the woman said in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water, which makes a ton of sense. If I never had to go drink again, then that just saved me a lot of time. I'd never have to go to the bathroom again. That's more time. And just, I'd, I'd save money. I wouldn't have to buy those Gatorades, you know, whatever it is. So, She's just a practical woman here. And so verse 16, he told her, now this is where the story changes. Listen to this, watch this, watch this. Go, call your husband and come back. Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he pivot? They're having this wonderful moment about eternal life and living water springing up within you. Because again, Jesus, here's what you need to know, is that Jesus is a bit of a mind reader. Jesus always is like, he's, he's in human flesh, but he still carries his divinity. And he knows this woman. He knows her story. He knows he can read all her mail. I mean, he knows what's going on. So he does this on purpose. He specifically says, go call your husband and come back. To which her reply was, well, I ain't got no man. I don't even need a man. I'm just kidding. Um, I have no man, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you ain't got no man. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said about not having a man, that was, that was actually accurate and true. In verse 19, we'll just stop here. Sir, the woman said, hmm, I perceive you're a prophet. You just read in my mail. You just called me out on my junk. Um, now, again, at first glance, this doesn't even seem like much of a marriage text. If we were going to dive into marriage, you're like, we could go into some more marriage-y, marriage-y text. As a matter of fact, they actually dive into, after verse 19, they dive into this incredible theological breakdown on worship, which is, I can't even touch it. This, this, the Bible, just so you know, is largely written in layers. There's so much depth to it. So this is why you can read the Bible, come back a year or two later, read the exact same scripture, and get something completely different out of it. It's because the Bible is built in layers. Keep reading your Bible. Because there's so much more. You have not figured it all out. You have not gotten to the depth of it. I promise you. Keep soaking it in. Because in this moment, what I want to point to you is this. Is that Jesus really gives you the answer to your marital issues. Now, this woman had issues. Isn't that clear? It's just a couple statements. She had five husbands already. 
Now, here's the deal. I don't know what you're doing to have five husbands. Because like some people would say like, wow, you're like, either you, you, you really know how to pick them, you know. Or, or you know, the common denominator in all of those is you. I mean, there's a couple different ways you can go. But to go through five marriages, that's a lot. I mean, some of you are very dysfunctional. You still haven't gotten to your fifth one yet, right? So like this woman was pretty, well, she was pretty far along. She's pretty, pretty high up on the ladder of, of messing up relationships. And marriages are hard. Marriages are challenging. And this woman clearly, either whether she was choosing the worst man possible or she was the worst wife possible, something, can we all just admit, something's bad here, right? That's what we can all, we can all kind of decipher that theologically, right? Something funky is going on with this woman. And Jesus does something that's so unique. Do you notice that Jesus does not condemn her? He doesn't put her on blast. He doesn't like shame her. He doesn't try to make her feel bad for all of that stuff. If you, if you keep reading the story, which for the sake of time, I can't read all of it. It's a really lengthy story. She goes on to become an evangelist to the entire city. She's like, oh my gosh, I found the one. You got it. And she starts telling everybody and literally invites the entire town. So I mean like, Jesus uses this moment as a redemption story. So I want you to see Jesus doesn't go the route that we would. Most of us would say, look, if you've had five, um, five husbands, you need some intense counseling and or deliverance or both. We need to cast something out and renew the other and just, you're, you know, does that make sense? And Jesus doesn't do any of that. He turns her into an evangelist in the next 90, you know, 120 seconds after that. And so the thing that he does, though, it's, it's, number one is this. This is the two big ideas from the story. Number one is this, that Jesus has compassion for those who struggle or have failed in marriage. That's what you really see. Jesus has incredible compassion. You know why he has compassion? It's because it's Jesus. That's just who he is. That's just his nature. If you ever felt like some of y'all do this, some of y'all go out Saturday night and really blow it. And you're like, man, I ain't going to church on Sunday. There's no way. <laughs> They're not letting me in. Some of y'all think lightning will strike you if you roll up in here. I promise it's never happened. And really bad people have been in here. We've never been struck by lightning before, okay? So just come. Jesus is not here to condemn you. Jesus is here drawing you in and inviting you in. He is compassionate just because that's who he is. Here's the other reason why I think Jesus is compassionate is because Jesus knows that the root of most marriage issues is ignorance, right? Most of us, I'll put it like this. How many people you know went to their wedding day thinking, man, I'm going to jack this up. I can't wait. I'm going to ruin this thing. I'm going to ruin him. I'm going to ruin her. I'm going to make a mess of this. We'll be done in six months. I promise. No, nobody ever goes into their marriage thinking that I want to mess this up. We didn't intend to. There's a level of ignorance in our own issues in our own life. There's a level of ignorance in what it takes to make marriage work. There's a level of ignorance in our spouse and understanding the differences between men and women and why that's so weird. Or I'm just telling you, there's so much going on. And so Jesus has compassion because think about it like this. When Jesus was on the cross, when he was looking at people's sins, he prayed to his father and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Meaning like there's a level of ignorance that we have in understanding our own soul and life and God and how it all fits together. And so some of our marriage issues are largely just based on ignorance. And so, you know, here's the other thing, too. I think Jesus is compassionate or we could say it like this. I think God is compassionate over marriages and divorce and this whole thing because the Bible actually describes God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament as a marriage having gone through a divorce. So you could say, you could go read Jeremiah chapter three and you would see where God is speaking and it's like, 
How is it that you left me and divorced me and then went and and how is it that we're ever going to connect together? And so God has felt the pain of a bad marriage. God has felt the the anxiety that God has felt the the turmoil of having someone that he wanted to love and wanted to be in relationship and it not work out. And so in light of that, you know what I'm talking about, because if you've ever been through a bad relationship and then your girlfriend goes through it, you're like, girl, you know, let's get some that, that bucket of ice cream. And you just feel empathy. You can relate to what they're going to. And so because of this, Jesus has incredible compassion. But the second big thing is this, is that Jesus really shows and reflects that the most important issue in marriage is this. It's your personal relationship with God. Now, before we look at everything else that the Bible teaches about relationships and marriage, which is awesome, which is on point, which is accurate and truthful and good and helpful and practical and all those things. Did you notice that when Jesus was addressing this woman and her five marriages and her shacked up cohabitation right now, that he did not get into, oh, you know what? Let's get into your dating habits. Let's get into your communication skills. Let's get into your conflict resolution. Let's turn over. What did mommy do to you? What did daddy do to you? What? What? He didn't do that. Listen to what he says. Go back. Go back to John chapter four, verse 13. Watch this. Remember, Jesus answered her and said, whoever drinks of this water will what? Thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst. But the water that I give him will not only be a fountain of water for them, but it'll be springing up into everlasting life. So the point was this. Before you can do anything else when it comes to relationship skills or habits or practices or any of that stuff, before we even renew your mind towards new ideas on relationships and marriage, you need to connect with Jesus because it's there that you find living water and that living water stirs up something inside of you that creates life and life in you and it spills over into life all around you. The most important thing in life or in marriage, I should say, is your personal relationship with God. If you don't have that, everything else I tell you to do is going to be 10 times harder, if not worse. If I got into your grill about communication, if I get into your grill about conflict resolution, if I get into your grill about why you got weird insecurities and all that stuff, none of that stuff is really going to work until we resolve this, that you need Jesus in your life giving you that living water that springs up to everlasting life. Because here's, here's the deal. The reason why this is so important is because if you don't connect here, or I could just say it like this, if you don't connect with Jesus, then you'll always be longing for something that you will never have. You'll always be thirsting for something and never quite feel satisfied. Jesus is the only one who can meet your deepest needs. So, in human nature, this is what we kind of know, like all of us, male, female, old, young, we all have four basic needs. I want to show them to you real quick here. So these are the four basic needs that every human being has. Everybody say acceptance, identity, security, purpose. Every one of us needs that. Every one of us in life is thirsting for that in our soul. We kind of long for that. We want that. Everybody wants to be accepted, right? Nobody wants to get not just pick last for kickball, just left out completely, right? Everybody wants to feel included. Everybody wants to get invited to the party. Everybody wants to feel like they have friends, they have relationships. They want to feel loved. They want to feel accepted. It is hardwired into all of us to want to feel that sense of acceptance. That's what we all want. Number two is identity. We all want to know who we are. We all have a moment in our life we wrestle with, like, who am I? 
Like, who, no, really, like, who am I? Who, what, what am I made for? What, what, you know, and, and then when you get connected to God, what you find out is this, is I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, that if I connect with God, I discover who I am, that in him I am a child of God, I am redeemed. You find out and discover all these things. But again, that sense of total acceptance, that can truly only be met in a relationship with God. That idea of identity, security, look, I know people run security companies. There's no such thing as foolproof security. There's, like, I, I want you to have life insurance, and I want you to have health insurance. That's just wise, okay? Go out and get some if you don't. But at the end of the day, that does not make you fully secure. Tomorrow's promise to no man at any point in time, any bad thing can happen to any one of us. The Bible says that the, the, the sun and the rain come on the righteous and the unrighteous. We live, can I get a what, what? We live in an unstable world where chaos is surrounding us. We're talking about car accidents and weird things. And you got, you got the threat of this and the threat of that. And everybody's getting the flu. And so there is no sense of absolute security in this world. But in God, it's different. Because now my life is not just about this life, it's about eternity as well. And my life, my whole life is in his hands. Look at what Psalm says. This is just, I just think it's beautiful, so I wanted to read it. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do you have a relationship with God? All of a sudden you find real acceptance. You find who you actually are in life. You find a real sense of security. And then lastly, if we could go back to the four things, you find purpose. Like some of you are trying to find purpose and security and identity. All the, like, listen to me, you're not going to find it in your marriage. You're not going to find it in your kids. And you're not going to find it in your work. That is not where these things come from. That's not how this really works. So all of us are hardwired that we have these deep needs. Now here's what happens in marriage. We get married and then all of a sudden, we're expecting another human being to fulfill all these things in us. Have you been married for more than just a few years out there? Raise your hand real quick here. Hey, did your spouse fulfill all these deep needs in your life? <laughs> Crickets and nervous laughter. That's all we had. Why? Because no, listen to me, that's just not how this works. Watch this. When we don't trust Jesus to meet our deepest needs, number one is this, is we transfer those needs onto those closest to us. Some of y'all are wearing your kids out. You're literally, you're like a leech sucking the life out of your marriage. You, you believe like, oh, I just, oh, they make me feel loved. They make me feel accepted. I need more. You know, don't leave me. You know, you got, you, why? You, you just project that stuff all over them. And you're projecting all those needs on people that you cannot completely predict. And you're transferring those needs onto people who have limited resources themselves. You are not married to Jesus Jr. You don't have the ability to latch on to your spouse and suck the life out of them and the relationship to be healthy and whole because of that. You can't do that. So in light of the fact that you're, you're projecting all those needs onto somebody that can't meet them, you're never fulfilled. There you go. Are you a little late to the game? Get back in here. So, so, so you live a life of disappointment. Isn't disappointment in essence what leads us to want to get divorced anyway? We look at the other person and we say, I'm not satisfied. I'm disappointed. I'm not fulfilled. This is not what I signed up for. Till death do us part. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I expected them to have this, to do this, to be this in my life. Why aren't they 
more and we end up unfulfilled. And then here's the deal too. Your ability to give is dependent now on your ability to get from others. So now because you can't get it from your spouse because they got limited resources, now you're so depleted that you can't give it when they're sucking the life out of you. Do you see how this turns into a negative spiral of constantly just draining each other because of our own insecurities? Our own insecurities that come from we don't have acceptance in our heart that we know that Jesus died and bought and ransomed and redeemed our life, that we are fully accepted in him. So we need our spouse to do that. And so we don't know who we are in Christ, so we need our spouse to validate us all the time. And we don't feel safe all the time, so we need our spouse. And so do you see how it goes? Like we keep projecting this stuff, and so we're never fulfilled. And then lastly, we become discouraged and cynical, right? So now you look at marriage, and you're like, no, all men are this, women are this, marriage is this. And we get these negative ideas and negative things when it comes to looking at our spouse or looking at the opposite sex or looking at dating your relationships. Here, here's the deal too. When you are needy for your spouse because you're not getting your needs met through your relationship with God, let me just help you out quick here. This is, this is a, not even in the notes. This, this is good stuff. It's unattractive. Needy people are not attractive. Guys, listen to me, listen to me. Needy Men are not attractive. Women would prefer somebody who is strong. Not talking about your bench press and your squat because don't skip leg day. I'm talking about your ability to feel accepted, to know who you are, to know your purpose in life, to have strength and resolve of character, have a conviction about you, about your life. Where does that all come from? That will not come from all external things. That primarily comes from your relationship with God. So it's just an unattractive trait to be super needy. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says it's so brutal. I would never say this to you. But Jeremiah 17, 5 says this. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes his flesh his strength. You know what Jeremiah is saying is this. If you are looking to other people to meet your deepest needs. Now he uses the word cursed. In essence, it would be the word list. You're going to live a life of consequences. You're going to live a life of reaping negative things because you keep trusting in other people to meet those deep needs. And I'm just telling you, this is why Jesus shows up to the woman and he doesn't give her counseling tips and he doesn't cast out a demon. He doesn't do anything. No, 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 no. Because some of you look at your spouse, you're like, no, a demon, I promise. Got to get it out. But what Jesus says is this. No, no, no. It is all fixed when you understand who is the source of living water, which again, he's sitting at a well drawing water. He's just using it as a metaphor. He's talking about the source of all life. The one that will meet your deepest needs is Jesus. And as long as you keep projecting that on other people, you're going to become unfulfilled, disappointed, and cynical. It's not going to work. Now, here's the opposite, though, because if you actually started projecting all those needs onto Jesus, which he can handle the load, he can carry the weight, he is God. He can handle whatever it is that you throw at him. And so guess what? When you actually trust Jesus with meeting your needs, number one is this, is our hurts are healed. See, here's what you need to know about relationships that, that really, if you're married out there, you need to dial in with me real quick here. There is no such thing as marriage issues. Okay, there's not. Just stay with me here. There's no such thing as marriage issues. You got personal issues that you brought into a marriage. That's what you really have. See, what happened was, is when you were little and they locked you in the closet and you got all afraid and all of a sudden you're afraid ever since, or that dog bit you and now I'm afraid of dogs all the time, or, or remember that one time when mommy didn't take me to Disneyland and my feelings were hurt? See, all that, 
All that right there, and that, that's the minor stuff. When, when you were abused, when you were hurt, when you were rejected, when you kept growing, and this, this just doesn't happen when in middle school them girls didn't like you, and in high school when you got cut from the team, or when, and all these things. You know what you collect in life? Baggage. And then all of a sudden you get into a marriage and you got your insecurity and you got her insecurity and you got, and then all of a sudden you guys, because of proximity, you bump up into each other. And then all of a sudden your junk is flying out. And then you look at the other person and you say, you made my junk come out. That sounds kind of weird. You made my, you made my baggage come out. Like five of y'all have, five of y'all have dirty minds. Y'all need to stop. I'm like, you made my baggage come out. But the reality is, you already had that baggage. That was yours. You done got that. You brought that into the relationship. That was yours. I, maybe they did make you bump it out. But it's yours. It was already up in there. That was your junk. That was your baggage. That was your wounds. That was your hurts. And I'm just telling you, if you'll journey with Gina, Jesus, the journey with Jesus is always a journey towards wholeness. You can't walk with Jesus and not have Jesus get up in your soul and start poking and prodding and rearranging and messing with you. You can't do it. Now listen, you can, you can keep Jesus at a distance. You can go to church on a Sunday morning and just hold on to your baggage. You can do that. But I'm talking about truly journeying with Jesus, journeying in prayer, journeying with the Scripture, uh, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and guide you. I'm talking about communion and fellowship with God. You can't do that and have Jesus not get up into your soul and deal with with that baggage. I'm telling you that he has the ability to heal that stuff. Number two is this, is now because we're letting Jesus in, we're filled with his love and have the ability to love others. See, you can only give out of your reserve. You can only give what you've got. Some of you are walking around in your marriages depleted. Where are you going to get that strength and love from? You're going to get it from your personal relationship with God and then give it away. You're going you're to go spend time with God and then you're going to give it to your spouse. And what would it look like if you had a wife and a husband who were both spending time with God, drawing strength and love, and then giving it to one another? You'd have excess. You'd have overflow. You'd have abundance. You'd have an obnoxious marriage where they just love each other. It's like, go get a room. You know, that type of thing. Like, enough already. Quit touching. Stop it. That's where that comes from. It comes from two people who are so satisfied in their relationship with God, they found their identity, they found their acceptance, they found their purpose, they found their security in God. I wasn't having to leech and suck it out of the life of my spouse. I was getting it from God and then giving it to my spouse because we know this, that even if we're journeying with God, that sometimes we have moments where we fall or we slip or we, we, we just have a moment in life where, where, where circumstances and seasons of life overwhelm us. And then that's why our spouse can actually pick us up when we're dragging. It's because we have our hurts healed and now we're so full of his love that we can give it to others. And then lastly, this, our sins and selfishness are challenged and changed into Christ's character. So not only those hurts and wounds that you picked up, all that baggage, like some of us just carry like wrong mentalities, wrong thinking, selfish thinking, sinful thinking. I'm just telling you again, when you journey with Jesus, he's not gonna let you sit on your anger issue. It is time to put your big boy pants on and deal with that thing. You cannot journey with Jesus and keep talking to your spouse like that. If you journey with Jesus, he will be all up in your business, checking you, convicting you, challenging you. I'm telling you that this is where marriage is at its best when we project all of our needs onto our relationship with God and that's the source of life. That's where that living water that springs up to everlasting life, that's where 
it is. So, in light of that, listen to this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to roll with me, you're going to journey with Jesus, at times I'm going to heal you, but at other times I'm going to tell you to pick up that cross and let's get to work. It's time for you to sometimes deny yourself. If you are the spouse that says, well, that's just who I am, stop it. That's who you used to be. Who could you be in Christ? Because saying, well, that's just how my dad was and that's how my grandpa was. That's how my mom, look, that's how my mom, that's how I was raised. So, guess what? You know what? Sometimes I was raised really poorly. Sometimes I was raised by not the best parental figure. Sometimes I was modeled a very, very poor picture of what a husband and what a life looked like. So leaning back on, well, that's what mom did or that's what dad did. Or if you just lean back on your unsanctified personality and say, well, that's just the way I am. That is the worst excuse in the world because Jesus is just challenging you right here today, right now, saying, no, no, it is time for you to deny some of the things that you fall back on as a crutch. It is for you to deny it and actually pick up your cross. It was his way of saying this. Some things in your life you need to put to death. And if you'll do that, you'll become the person you were always intended to be, which will allow you to become the husband or wife you were always meant to be. You see the difference? So in light of that, here's my challenge to you. Before we get into anything else when it comes to, again, how you communicate or how you do, let's, let's do this. How's my relationship with Jesus? Am I journeying with Jesus? How many of my hurts and wounds, how much of my baggage am I projecting onto my spouse? How much am I sucking the life out of them because I'm needy? Because I have these insecurities that they can't fulfill anyway, but I really want them to. So I put these unrealistic expectations on my spouse to meet these deep needs, and they keep failing. So they feel discouraged, and because they keep failing me, I feel discouraged. It's this endless cycle. And so before Jesus addresses anything else, before the New Testament addresses anything else, when it comes to marriage, he sits at a woman with a well and says this, you know what you need? See this water? I mean, you need real water. You need living water. You need something that gives you eternal life. That's what you need. John 4 verse 10 says this. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who, everybody say who, and who it is and who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's a who, right? It's not a thing. God is not a thing. God is not an it. Contrary to Star Wars, God is not the force. Okay? God is a person. And so the, the best thing that I can tell you is this. When I want you to journey with Jesus, when I say that the most important thing in your marriage is your personal relationship with Jesus, number one is this, is that you have to remember Jesus is God, but he's also a person. Like your heavenly father has feelings. He knows the pain of divorce. Jesus walked this planet and understands the temptations of sin. He understands the difficulty of relationship. He gets it. He is a person who you can actually relate to. But in light of that, you can trust his love and faithfulness. Isn't that what relationship is really always built on anyway? Like, like once you get into a great relationship, you're like, no, no, this is someone who I know loves me and this is someone whom I can trust. Because see, if you don't have trust, you will always have fractured relationships. Because you don't know. Can I really believe them? Can, do I really know that they're telling me the truth? Do I really know that they're telling me the whole story? Do I really know? You don't have trust. And so I want you to know 
that Jesus' character makes him completely trustworthy. And his, his coming to earth, his life, his death and resurrection show you that he is in absolute love with you. So what I want you to do is I want you to journey with Jesus. Because unless you do that, nothing else I tell you next week and over the next three weeks, nothing else will matter. Last thought, and I'll close with this. When you think about even the way that God designed marriage from the very beginning, the very first two people, remember we, we, we talked about the story just last week, I think. You have this guy named Adam, and God looks at him and says, man, something ain't right. Aloneness is not right for him. So he puts him into this environment called the Garden of Eden. And, and of course, out of this situation, God creates Eve, and he puts them together. But I want you to see the environment is Eden, Right? And Eden was a place where God had direct fellowship and direct relationship with both of them. So I want you to think about God's ideal for marriage. It was built in an environment where God was in the middle of the relationship. And when that's not there, everything else gets 10 times harder. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? So from this message, let me just challenge you real quick here. How's your, how's your relationship with Jesus? Because I'm telling you, man, that everything flows out of that. Without that, you're needy. Without that, you're a little lost. Without that, you're, you're searching. Without that, you're, you're looking for other people to meet your deepest needs. I'm telling you, it won't work. You are looking at people who don't have the resources or the consistency to meet those deep needs. It's not there. So you know what I'd like to do today? I'd, I'd just like to invite all of us in to this moment where we either say yes to Jesus for the very first time maybe, or maybe some of us say, you know what, I've, I've kind of lost my way a little bit and I need to journey with Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, Todd, you know what, it's time for me to actually have a relationship with Jesus. I want God in my life and I've never made that step. I've never made that commitment. I've never invited Jesus into my world to come in, to take over, to be God, to be the Lord of my life. Then today is your day. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is invite you in, and on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Todd, that's me. That's just your way of taking a step of saying, God, it's me in the crowd. It's me in the audience. I'm raising my hand. I, I want you to know that it's me that needs you. And if you're here today and you say, I need a relationship with Jesus, I need God to forgive me, I want God in my life, then on the count of three, just slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and pop that hand up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're here today and you say, man, I've just lost my way a little bit and it's been too long and I haven't been walking with Jesus, slip your hand up right now and say, that's just me. I need, I need to reconnect, recommit, rededicate, get back on board. Yeah. So Father, we pray you see our hands, you know our hearts. And so God, we just ask you, come in, take over, have your way. God, we want your forgiveness, but God, we want your help. We want your strength. We want you to meet those deep needs in our life. We want to be able to connect and commune with you. And so if you could, everybody together, church, if you could, I'm going to lead you in a short little prayer, and I want you to repeat this after me. Would you? Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and change my heart. Take over, Lord. I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your forgiveness. I am lost without you. I believe that you loved me, that you died for me, so that I could know you. Help me, Lord, to walk with you today and every day for the rest of my life. It's in your name that I pray. And give me a good gospel amen and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. 
For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.